heavily, I'm a clown. Welcome back, everyone. It's time for another episode of the Bitcoin Echo Chamber. Today's episode, episode 14, I'm joined by a friend of mine. His name is Ben, and Ben and I are going to get into the pillars of the meta of Bitcoin, meaning there is so much information you know, that you need to understand in order to understand Bitcoin and all of its subtle nuances and, and why it's so important on a macro and on a meta scale and how it fits into our current narrative and why it's such a new paradigm compared to anything that we have ever seen before. I think you guys are going to really like this episode. I think that it'll be really useful to give to people that might be new to Bitcoin and having trouble really wrapping their minds around understanding it, understanding uh, this newly emerging nascent technology that's going to completely change the world. I think you guys are going to love this discussion. Real quick, before we jump into the interview, don't forget you guys can find all of our episodes over at BitcoinEchoChamber.com, or you can find us on all of your favorite podcasting services, whether it be Spotify, Overcast, iTunes, Google Podcasts, etc. If you want to support the show, you can find out more information over at BitcoinEchoChamber.com, as well as reach out to me if you'd like to be a sponsor. You can just email me at BitcoinEchoChamber at gmail.com. And if none of that's for you, I just appreciate you being here listening to what I have to say. Let's get to it. This episode of the Bitcoin Echo Chamber podcast is sponsored by WTFHappenedIn1971.com. The economics meme taking the world by storm where all of us are trying to find out the answer to what the heck happened in 1971. WTF1971 also has a merch store now. You can find it at WTF. 1971.creator-spring.com. I'll post a link to that down in the show notes if you want to check it out. Thanks for the support. Ben, how you doing, man? I'm good. How you doing, Colin? I'm doing excellent. Thank you for coming on the show today. I'm excited to talk about this stuff that we're going to talk about. But before we get into that, uh, why don't you tell my listeners a little bit about yourself? How'd you get into Bitcoin? What brought you here today? Uh, a whole lot of stuff. Um... I mean, I, I used to watch, I used to read a lot of Slashdot, which is uh, news, for, news for Nerds. News uh, for all, Nerds. News for Nerds uh, was their slogan. It was uh, all the developers um, in the 90s, all the, the internet geeks was really where these guys hung out. And uh, I knew about Bitcoin in, essentially in 2011, and I, I read a little bit about it. And I, you know, I, I, did, I certainly didn't grok it, but um, I did kind of understand that it was this anonymous um, internet money. And that people were using it to buy drugs and stuff, and uh, that was interesting. But you know, I didn't, I didn't quite get it. And then somewhere around 2013, 2014, I was like, people are still buying drugs on the internet with this stuff. And uh, I tried to go on Mount Gox, and uh, I, I got into the login, and I started to create an account. And they asked for my ID, and I was like, oh, I thought this was an anonymous internet currency. So I was like, oh, well, this, well, this won't do. So I closed that window, um, and like did a little more research, and I was like, oh, an ATM. As long as it doesn't have a camera or if I could obscure the face, then I could get some anonymous internet money. That's cool. So I just kind of waited and I always looked around for them. But I, I guess I kind of forgot about it for a few years. And, uh, you know, I'd see it come up in TV and stuff. And then 2017, big price, uh, you know, the the hype, right? And I was like, you know what? I got to take another look at this. And uh, like many among us, I fell into the Andreas Antonopoulos rabbit hole videos and I uh, started going pretty deep i watched probably at least a hundred of those and then i was just like looking around for more information i was on reddit a bunch and eventually i saw that you gotta be get on you gotta get on twitter if if you're gonna be in the in the bitcoin universe so i did that and got into astronaut economics but so i have i have some questions there like you mentioned andreas and i i think a lot of people start out in crypto listening to andreas antonopoulos but clearly um i i don't want to say that you evolved but you maybe you moved on um to something a little bit more mature than that like can you tell me what that process was like for you like how did you go from listening to andreas to austrian economics because to me that's a little bit of a leap um andreas isn't i don't i don't really consider him like an austrian guy that's really simple i i I started arguing on um our our bitcoin on reddit with uh, this guy (laughs) yeah i know um but there was this, this really intelligent guy uh who he's just like in the finance world in the UK or something 
and he kept going back to this deflationary argument and uh, I realized I didn't understand enough about the economics and that was just about the time I was getting onto Twitter and eventually found people like Pierre Richard and um, kept hearing about Austrian economics and uh, I, I think I was following Justin Moon if you guys know him he's uh, yeah. he, he runs Bill, Biddle Bootcamp and so he teaches people how to code Bitcoin and he he put this thing he was like I'm doing an Austrian economics book club who's in and I was just like oh sure me and uh, I mean then I met Max Hillebrand uh, who's amazing. I met Zane awesome. Pocock, awesome who's guy. really awesome. If you don't, guys don't know Zane, um, and I met Tib, uh, and we have been, almost every week, we uh, discuss Austrian economics in the uh, in the paradigm of a Bitcoin world, and I, my, my knowledge has just skyrocketed. Yeah, it's really interesting, because I had my turning point, like in my quote-unquote crypto career, was really similar. Um, I was on, I think it was Reddit, you know, because as much shit as I will give Reddit, I have learned a lot on Reddit over the years. Right. Um, and I hate Reddit and I don't go on it these days. But I think I remember coming across a post and it was basically like, how do I sort through all this noise? Like, there's so much noise in crypto. This was like uh, early 2017, late 2016, like height of the just frenzy. And some, somebody asked the question, like, how do I sort through all this noise? And someone was like, all right, what you need to do is you need to make a Twitter and I was already, I already had a Twitter, but I only use it for like trading penny stocks, just to like follow companies, like PRs and stuff. And I'm like, he said, follow the people that have been in this space a really long time, like cultivate like a really careful Twitter feed of people that are either developers that have been in this space a really long time and are smart and only talk about smart stuff. And then he had like a list of like all of his recommended people. And a lot of them were people I still follow today, like Kyle Torpy, Pierre Rochard. Um, some of them I, I have ended up like muting blocking whatever like guys like Vinny Lingham like get him away from me but yeah, yeah I had a really me. similar journey like yeah. and Twitter for me was like a huge part in shaping my understanding and like my thought process and like finding my gaps in my knowledge you know what I mean yes um, and I think this brings me to uh, I think one of the most important things you need to understand about this uh, this universe is that critical thinking is so paramount in in the in the especially in the fake news era but it always is right so if, if you guys aren't familiar with critical thinking it's it's a very simple discipline um that is quintessential to uh I incorporating new information into your worldview uh and it talks about one avoiding logical fallacies so in order to do that you need to understand logic and you need to understand what logical fallacies are and how they lead you to the incorrect conclusions and think you're correct and then second thing is to absorb information from many different sources um, and decide based on the validity of the arguments therein whether or not this information is is good and, and you know y you may not know whether it's true or not but like what you know how good is it and you incorporate lots of information and they all kind of have a scale of how good they are and on Twitter you're not getting information from CNN or, or Fox News it's 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 from all these you know random people and you just have to evaluate the information based on what it is and that's how in doing that that's how you cultivate your twitter uh following like you said you you you, you followed people and then you unfollowed them when you realized they were saying stuff that really wasn't uh prescient or or wasn't logically sound and if you work from this foundation then you can get to a place that's close to truth and i use that word very loosely yeah and i think i would add to that um in regards to like the critical thinking piece you know, everybody has a bias, and I think that we're, at least I was growing up kind of under this false pretense that bias is bad, uh, and you need to go to sources that don't have bias, but that's inherently impossible, right? Because everybody is biased in some way, shape, or form, and just because a person is biased doesn't mean that they're wrong, right? Somebody can be extremely, but like me, for example, I'm probably very biased for Bitcoin, um, but that's also because I've done probably, at this point, hundreds if not a thousand plus hours of research on this topic and i am thoroughly and logically convinced through my uh steps through this process through this bitcoin spectrum you know as we're going to go over and talk about today that i've i've come to the correct conclusions or at least you know i've surrounded myself with enough smart people that they would like weed out my bullshit you yes. know where, where i would be wrong uh, and that's why i think cultivating a like twitter is such an amazing resource like if you if you cultivate carefully like a good following um, and, and you block people liberally who interrupt your, your intellectual process, it can, it can be a really, really great place to learn. 
Um, so I want to jump into this this Bitcoin spectrum. Now, this is something that you shared with me. Uh, this was published by Unchained Capital. Um, I'm going to have a link to this picture uh, down in the down in the show notes if you guys want to check it out if you want to kind of follow along visually if you're a visual learner i don't know why you're listening to podcasts but uh, if you want to follow along as we talk through this but we want to try to hit some of the major points because uh something ben and i talked a lot about is how the the bitcoin and the blockchain spectrum is massive in scope and if you have missing pieces, it's kind of like a jigsaw puzzle, right? If you have missing pieces on this Bitcoin spectrum, and you, you're not going to be able to see the whole picture, and you're really not going to understand why this thing is so important and why it's so valuable unless you can see uh, the big picture. Ben, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, I think each... So this, this spectrum, just in, in case people aren't looking at the thing, is it's, it's four main pillars. And I, I don't think this... this picture is necessarily the end of this graph it's a it's a venn diagram right so and it has four main pillars um four main schools of thought um and i don't think this is the end all be all of what describes bitcoin but it is a great start to understand how complex this uh topic is and uh there are four main kind of bubbles on this venn diagram are politics economics distributed systems and cryptography and really each one of these things are very difficult to understand uh you know holistically really understand them and what we're trying to do to understand bitcoin is to understand all four of these things and how they interact and then try to understand the paradigm of a new world with bitcoin in it and then understand all of those disciplines in this new paradigm this unknown kind of future that is is in front of us and and that is a very difficult task to do i think so that's why all of us spend all this time researching and discussing and eliminating bad ideas i think right yeah yeah and i think uh, it's important to try to take like a very praxeological approach um to this spectrum you know and understanding that that there aren't really any hard and fast rules here all we can really do is observe human action you know try to anticipate um the way that we think this is going to play out and you know and that's where like the whole game theory thing comes into it and and look at each spectrum as broadly as possible and then dig as deeply into bitcoin as we can and and try to understand where we think that this thing is going to go and i think that that's what a lot of really smart people have done and yeah ben you and i were talking about this just the other day um i feel like the the smartest people in in cryptocurrency and if you're listening to this and you're you're not that into bitcoin you know welcome to the show but i'm sorry it's just the honest truth i'm not sorry it's it's the honest truth the smartest people in this space have all kind of come to the same conclusion independently right yeah and i see that over and over again like i'll i will come to a thought independently post it on Twitter and see somebody else later that had already wrote it or I'll, I'll post it first and I'll see Andreas say something like that and it's, it's it's incredible that we're all coming to these individually coming to the same conclusions and one of those conclusions is the shelling point as uh, Marty Ben talks about is is Bitcoin itself being uh, really really whole lot farther ahead than all the other ones and really a much better uh, has a much better chance of, of doing what we're talking about, uh, where it's taking over a large swath of, of the money that we transact on the internet. So let's take a look at the spectrum. Um, yeah, so it, just in case you guys missed it, the, the four sort of pillars are politics, economics, distributed systems, and cryptography. Um, so we're going to start and we're going to talk about the economics first. We're going to kind of touch on some of the points there, and then we're going to make our way through the other pillars to kind of give you guys a broad overview of of all of the things that go into this this system um so first and foremost we have the economics piece um ben what are your what are your initial thoughts that you think of when you think of the economics well and i, I encourage everyone to really dive into the austrian economics here because uh as uh, you know as as colin was asking me it's like how did i get into the economics side of it well i i got into it because i was trying to argue with people and i realized that a I didn't have the knowledge. I didn't understand inflationary versus deflationary. And and that's really a small piece of this. Uh, once you start getting deep into this, um, I think Hazlitt and Bastiat, um, but Henry Hazlitt's the one who wrote Economics in One Lesson, incredible read, um, talks about a fallacy, right? So I, I was talking about logical fallacies before. Um, he talks about the fallacy of the broken window. Um, so really mm -hmm. simply, if you're not familiar with it, uh, it's the idea that you know somebody has a shop and the window gets broken in his shop and that this creates economic activity and it's good for the economy uh, because the guy comes and sweeps up the street and he gets paid and the, the, 
the gl the glazier, the guy who makes glass, um, has to you know create a glass window, and uh, the the people that supply him with glass stock, and the people that supply him with uh, tools to to do all that, all get economic uh, uh, transactions out of this. So you, you've created economic activity, um, but the fallacy is that well. Yeah, but the shop owner has to take money that he could have spent elsewhere. He could have spent on a new pair of shoes. And and you never see those things, right? So this is the the effects of uh, that that shop owner not being able to spend money on the on his new share of shoes or a new suit or something are never seen. Um, and they're obscured. Um, and they're ignored. Uh, and a lot of times, it's essentially like... Um, this this happens everywhere in the economy, and, and if if you have the government saying, "Oh, well, we're going to build this thing," and yes, that creates economic activity, but this is like a zero sum game essentially. That if you create money to to pay for something, uh, then you have diluted the supply of all the money, and you've taken away purchasing power from everybody, and the the investments that never happened uh, or the things that we couldn't buy because our money was worth a little bit less are never seen. So this is really a crucial thing to understand, I think. Um, yeah. yeah. And I, I can keep going here. Economics is, uh, is so deep into this, right? Because it, money itself and commerce are so tied into economics. And we're talking about a, a digital money that is, is brand new. So you have to understand money. And I don't think really anybody understands money. Um, yeah, that's actually a really <laughs> great point. Uh, if yeah. I could stop you for a second, I, sure. I know for me personally, and, and I went to public school. Uh, I, I know Ben's situation is a little bit different, but I, growing up, you know, I took several economics courses, um, probably in high school and then maybe in my undergrad also, and I had never been exposed. You know, I had heard the name F. A. Hayek, right, but probably only in mentions like. In, pass, in, in passing them off in the same way that you would read a psychology textbook and read about Freud and be like, yeah, that guy with those crazy theories that we don't really believe anymore. That's the way that Austrian economics is presented uh, to the modern scholar. And I'm sorry, you know, we'll bring it back to the, I'm, I keep saying I'm sorry, I'm not sorry. We'll bring it back to the critical thinking piece from earlier. You have to examine these things for yourself and decide whether or not they're, they're worthy of value. And if you haven't been exposed to Austrian economics then you can't. You're not in a position to decide whether or not that's a, that's a valid argument to be made. Whether or not that's a valid theory. Uh, so it, you know, if you're listening to this and you think, oh, Austrian economics is bunk. You know, it's it's been it's been bunked for years and years and years. Ever since modern money theory. You know, ever since Keynesian economics. You need to revisit that. You need to revisit that. You need to go and learn a lot more about money. Where is it? Where does it come from? Yeah, and I would actually go a step further um, because as Hazlitt, so the book I talked about, Economics in One Lesson, he actually goes into and says, he talks about that fallacy, right? But he actually goes on to say that there's a network of fallacies that uh, that obscure the truth that are, are required, you're required to fall into this trap of a network of fallacies in order to understand Keynesianism. So essentially what I'm trying to say really, really uh, convolutedly is that uh, Austrian economics breaks the fallacies that are are the arguments that Keynesianism makes. And Keynesianism is the main school of thought in economics, essentially that governments should interfere in markets. Um, and, and really, Austrian economics is really just exposing the, the fallacies therein, right? And that's why that's why we don't even really like spend time because Keynesianism is just a bunch of equations and and, and trying to manipulate the markets to your whim and the thing you realize about markets and supply and demand is that the more you try to manipulate them the more they push back um but i really want to get into this forgotten history of money right um if you don't understand the history of money or 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 what money is or what problem it solves how could you understand whether or not bitcoin is 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 money or is good money or is bad money um it's it's really not possible, and it's really enlightening, and then and that goes into if you guys haven't read Bitcoin Standard, incredible book uh, that talks about the history of money and how so many great societies fell because of poor money, um, and a lot of it had to do with inflation, right? And inflation comes in many forms, um, but you know many years ago when there were gold coins or or uh, other metals used, they used debasement 
to inflate the currency, which meant they would like take all the coins back, or they would collect some of them, and they would return coins out into circulation that had less of that metal in them. Um, that was very uh, laborious to do. It took a lot of work, and you had to create all these new coins, and um, it, it still had issues. Um, and it was easy to verify, right? Like if if you if you take this thing and melt it down, and you find out there's less gold in it. Uh, then it, you could find out that the government was debasing your currency, um, and, and and inflation happened much less than it happened now back then for these reasons because it was so hard to do. Right, and they didn't, but they didn't even call it inflation back then, and nobody was trying to pass it off as a good thing. Everyone knew <laughs> it was just the king stealing a little bit of extra gold right. to line his coffers. The king would be hiding this, right, and he would be caught red-handed and blushing if if this happened, if people caught him doing this. Now, uh, not only in the modern day has Keynesianism um, convinced us that inflation is necessary, uh, but it is so much easier to inflate now. It literally costs them almost nothing. They can a keystroke. They can create new digital entries at the Federal Reserve, and and create new money. And that's what they did in 2008 when they created uh, many trillions of dollars. Since then, it's it's almost like another trillion dollars, or another ten trillion dollars has been added to the the money supply. It's insane. Um, and this is all because it's now easier to inflate, and it's impossible to verify whether or not they're uh, that they're inflating or not. They're, they can just print and print and print. Um, right, right. And that's what yeah, happened in Zimbabwe and, and Venezuela and blah blah blah. Sure. So. And and we can go. We could go. We could go really deep on this. We could go. We could talk about this for hours and hours and hours. And and many people have. Mm-hmm. Um. And and there's still a lot more to unpack. You know, I, I think it's still we still haven't yet fully begun to understand the economic implications of Bitcoin um, because it's it's the first time that we've ever really been able to push back, you know, on the free market on this ideology because it affords so much power um, to the centralized authorities, the ability to you know create credit and uh, to to harvest wealth through through seniorage rights is what has financed, you know, the world wars that we saw in the previous century. And, and it was unprecedented prior to that when, um, you know, democracy, the God that failed, uh, Hans Hermann Hopp talks a lot about how, you know, back when private property was the norm, when that was just the, the expectation across the board, um, and, and kings had to represent their own private best interests, you know, by engaging in, in armed conflict, they, they, they couldn't afford to like indebt themselves indefinitely in order to go off and fight these extremely large, bloody, expensive battles because it was impossible. They didn't have a way to pay for it. Um, so it, yeah, the the rabbit hole goes pretty deep there. Yeah, because through inflation, they've now extended their uh, war treasure chest to the wealth of all of the citizens that hold their money. Um, right. I think that's well, a safeting kind of quote there. And, and I will say real quick, um, we're about to shift topics here, but. Anytime you guys are going through, like if you're going through this this Bitcoin spectrum here, or if you're just reading posts on Twitter and you're just trying to learn more about Bitcoin, anytime you come across any concept that you don't understand, or even if you're not 100% clear on what it is, you should take that as a learning opportunity. And you should go and you should like educate yourself on that matter. It Most of the time, it's just a Google search away. Like if you don't know what... Um, supply and demand actually means if you've heard that in school and you don't remember what it meant type it into google you know go to investopedia or whatever and and just look it up and now you're clear because so i think i see a lot of people do this where they're participating in like an argument and and they don't understand what's even being discussed but they're still arguing even though they don't understand the concepts that are being discussed um and and that really makes you look like a fool so don't be a fool you know make sure that you understand these concepts and if you don't understand something jump into it but Anyway, it's not just the economics piece. Um, economics sort of has an overlap with politics. Uh, you know, it's not enough just to know about about sound money and about uh, supply and demand and about scarcity. You know, you've also got markets. You have to understand the way markets work: regulation, monetary policy, uh, global banking, national security. Ben, do you want to touch on any of those? Yeah. Um, so, I, th- I think this one is it's tough to talk about on its own because um, I I plan to kind of show how then these these things overlap right but um democracy uh and sovereignty and communities are are on the politics spectrum um but you know democracy has been kind of 
started to be infected through uh, through socialism and you know a lot of people throw that word around these days without understanding what it means um, socialism is by by a simple definition the government owning the means of production uh, but I came across a tweet recently uh, that said Japan's central bank has become a top 10 shareholder in 50% of the companies there yep so what do I mean by that? I mean that literally the central bank has bought stocks from all of these companies. Uh, yep. A top 10 shareholder in 50% of the companies in Japan. Right. Uh, and, and it's a similar story here. I don't know the numbers on here, but the government in open, open market operations is buying stocks to support asset prices. This is what happened in 2008. Um, they're also, through their policy, they're, uh, through low low interest rates, they're throwing money on assets and but we'll get into that in a second i think yeah no and and just to clarify and i I just looked into this really recently uh the federal reserve doesn't actually own any equities but you know like ben is saying they do actually buy the assets that can inflate the underlying equities because they inflate the value of the equities and and uh, another really similar thing is going on in switzerland the swiss national bank owns something like something like i think it's 10 percent of their balance sheet is uh international equity and i believe half of that is actually u.s equity so yeah uh, imagine the moral hazard of being able to print money at will and then use that money to buy uh, uh money share off of the the global equities market there's a there's a huge incentive for malice there yeah um i th- i think that brings us into sovereignty right so like you know, I haven't read the sovereign in- individual yet, but I'm I'm starting to understand why I need to. <laughs> it's on my list. Um, it's on my list. Yeah, it's on my list too. But uh, you know, there's this concept in Bitcoin of the self sovereignty, right? So sovereignty is the idea that a nation uh, controls itself, right? Uh, that it's it's like an independence. Um, and self sovereignty is kind of being independent of the government, I think. Um, and really, in in this in this current landscape. Um, and after understanding a lot of these concepts, you realize that uh, essentially the government is is stealing our wealth through inflation. Um, they're manipulating markets, and they're you know they're, they're they're really messing with all economics. And and really, the free market is dying. Um, and and people are people are pointing to now capitalism and saying, oh, capitalism isn't working. Well, it's not capitalism when the government is literally manipulating all of the markets. Uh, price signals are developed. Uh, so, so you can see how these these things are overlapping already. I can't even talk about politics without uh, talking about economics. But Absolutely. Free markets are the idea that, you know, I put up a good at, at whatever price that it took me to produce it and plus a little bit of premium for my work that I've put into it. And when the government is changing the value of the money by diluting the supply and their... Um, in many other ways, manipulating these markets, uh, and and by the way, they're doing this openly and saying that this is the the federal policies. The, their their mandate is to uh, ensure low unemployment and to uh, keep inflation inject liquidity. Uh, what? Keep, uh, well, inject yeah. inject liquidity, manage inflation. <laughs> Yeah, and, and, and another thing, too, you know, if you want to see, you can go and look at the balance sheets for the Federal Reserve, and you can go and look for yourself every single dollar, uh, where they have it allocated, what they have it allocated to. Uh, they publish that every single year. Um, and it, it's 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 kind of, frankly, very disturbing. Um, and, that, and that doesn't even get into the uh, uh, unfunded liabilities that we have in America. You know, the debt is actually much, 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 much higher um, than just the the national debt ticker that you can type into Google and see. It's actually in the hundreds of trillions. You know, when, when you compare all of our social safety net and socialist um, economic fallback plans that we have in, a, in this country, you know, even FDIC, the bank insurance, which, yeah. <laughs> you know, we could get into that. That's a whole other can of worms. There's yeah, lenders, bank- are, I have a really simple soundbite on that. The lenders of last resort create moral hazard by shifting the risk from markets to the lender of last resort and the lender of last resort is the central bank and the central bank response to these events is to create money which so actually the risk is shifted to everybody right so that's that's how that's what we mean by socialism right so social policies you know you're talking about the social policies of uh you know uh what do you call it um 
like Social Security and, and, and Medicare, which are essentially Ponzi schemes, which are, are, are falling apart now. You're, we're realizing that yeah. they're, they're going to be unfunded. Um, but the, all of these social policies, right? So, yeah, it's not straight socialism. The government doesn't own Amazon and, and, uh, and Microsoft and Ford, but they, they are they are slowly usurping power and 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 inserting themselves into uh every it seems every facet of the market right um, yeah and and we're not just making this stuff up you know there's there's already historical precedent for this uh just 2008 is actually a great example uh you you see the real estate bubble and you know, most people don't understand why it happened you know they think that it was because the average investor thought that they could get rich quick and that they were they were going out and and, and taking out too many mortgages and yeah that's part of the problem but the real problem was that credit was so easy to get um, and there was so much incentive because of all of the uh, mortgage-backed securities and, and no risk. Right, and no risk and money that was being funneled into Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Um, through, and this was all through the government, right? And, and this disrupts the normal actions of the free market. Normally, you know, you have the benefits and then you have the, the fallbacks. You have... You have, to de- you have to you get to reap the rewards, but you also have to uh, deal with the ri- deal with the risks, deal with the fallout afterwards. And there was so much going on there. There's so much interbreeding of government and free market there that it it is what led to the bubble and caused the ultimate fallout. Yeah, that and that's that's exactly what I was just talking about about the the risks, right? So the the banks don't take on any risk because if they fail, uh, the lender of last resort steps in, and that's what happened. There's this implicit guarantee. Um, that the government will bail out the banks, and and it did happen in 2008, right? And and millions and millions of Americans lost unknowable wealth through the uh, real estate bubble bursting. Uh, and this brings me to another point: um, is that that we so like in understanding money, I've realized that you know, what what do the wealthy hold? Uh, do they hold a savings account with a whole you know, ten billion dollars? No, absolutely not. They hold uh, assets. Um, which are like stocks and real estate, and we're talking about government policies that um, in, that literally support the prices of these things. Uh, zero, low low interest rates um, and and open market operations keep this uh, keep piling money on the stock market and real estate. Um, and and on top of this, so so money devalues over time. Uh, so people don't hold their wealth in money. Everybody knows that just keeping a savings account means you're losing you're losing two or three percent per year compounded every year so you're losing half your wealth every 15 to 20 years it just disappears in money so people hold their wealth in uh, assets um, and the assets inflate right so they're they're getting returns on that Uh, and and the poor people cannot hold assets you know i mean think of you know some somebody working at mcdonald's living paycheck to paycheck they can't hold stocks so they can't hold real estate as part of their wealth so they lose more to inflation than rich people rich people don't really lose anything to inflation because they don't they hold such a small amount of cash they hold equities and they hold real estate and they hold positions in businesses um, i have another chart about this and i just tweeted that it's just mind-blowing that even the middle class have access to certain assets but the the richer you are the the more access you have to assets that go up even farther over time and definitely and that's the slavery that's happening right now. That's why everyone's pissed off. That's why everyone is, is, is begging for social policies, right? This gets into this concept that paranoid bull, if you guys don't follow paranoid bull, I mean, it's, it's a gl- he's a grim follow, but a uh, very interesting guy. Uh, he talks about socialism for the rich. Have you heard this term, Colin? No, please explain. Oh, this is, it's, this is exactly what this is, right? So the, the government is throwing money on the assets that rich hold um, while the poor are left holding money. So they're inflating our money. They're stealing the wealth, right? Because government can print pieces of paper, but they can't create wealth out of thin air. So they, right. they are robbing wealth from everybody by diluting the supply of money. And your, they're dumping it on assets. Your piece of the pie gets smaller. What? Your piece of the pie just gets smaller. They're not creating any more pie. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and they're they're taking that wealth that they're robbing from from people that hold cash and dumping it on assets and and real estate which right. the rich hold a larger percentage of as a, as their wealth. Right. So that's socialism for the rich. The rich are getting bailed out every year while the poor are 
are, are struggling to get social programs to try to help them survive. And that's where right. the turmoil you're seeing right now in the country is. That's why be- people are begging for more socialism, because only the rich are getting it, and they don't realize that. Um, right. Yeah, and if, if you're privy to the information of the, the few men in the world who hold the keys to the kill switch of the economy, you know, the ones who determine the monetary policy, you can make decisions um, when you're privy to that information prior to those things happening and you, and you stand to profit. I mean, that's why you see the central banks move larger allocations into gold um, before they, they start to tighten their monetary policy because they know that those assets are going to come back down to more reasonable levels in, in value. Uh, and and they're, they're storing their wealth in between changes in monetary policy. But if you're not privy to that information before it happens, you're going to be playing catch up. You're, you're going to be trying not to lose. Yeah, I, w- I want to jump off this for a second because I want to go back. So we've, we've gone into a little bit of economics and a little bit of politics and how some of those already kind of interweave together. Um, we haven't talked about cryptography and distributed systems. So cryptography, um, a, a lot of those Bitcoiners might know this stuff, but these are already hard concepts to understand. Hash, func- hash functions and Merkle trees. Um, Elliptic curve crypto- cryptography. Yeah, thank you. Uh, math, right? So math and provability and verifiability and... And, and how, you know, if you tell, you know, some random Joe who has no math on the street about, oh, no, no, this is all verifiable, he'll just, he, he either won't trust you or he'll have to trust you, right? He doesn't understand right. these concepts intrinsically. And you get into um, cryptographic security of, uh, of this protocols and cryptographic security of your wallet, right? Like, can somebody just guess my Bitcoin key? Because didn't you just right. generate one? Uh, understanding right. that yeah, it takes a thousand Earth's worth of computing power to... Right. <laughs> To, yeah. to guess the, the key to your, your wallet. Um, and yeah, then if, quantum If you don't understand logarithmic math, um, it might be really easy to think that Bitcoin is not that secure. Right. Um, and then understanding security of you know, the blockchain, right? And how it takes how much energy you would have to input to recreate the blockchain and to change the history or even to write a new transaction or to double spend. And, and this gets me into why Bitcoin is better than all of the other cryptocurrencies probably combined because it has... M- 10 times the users and 10 times the hash rate of all these things combined that you could you could turn off you know 10% of the supply of bitcoin miners and then point them at um, bitcoin cash for example and and 51% attack it with ease right, right. and one of these right. one of these large uh, bitcoin mining pools could probably do that with ease right now and then go back to mining bitcoin afterward Right. In, they could crash Bitcoin if they really, or Bitcoin Cash if they really wanted to. That's but not possible. That's not possible with Bitcoin. So y- you see a lot of Bitcoin maximalists, um, very ardent that Bitcoin is way, way better. And you have to understand all of these things together. Uh, and then you have to start to understand some of the economics and, and, and network effects, right? So Metcalf's law, network effects, and how how much larger the network of Bitcoin is and how much, you know, more people know about Bitcoin and use Bitcoin and where it's, you know, accepted, I guess, if you want to go that route, how much farther ahead it is. Uh, I, I also wanted to get into uh, how cryptography um, and, and distributed systems and uh, specifically BitTorrent, right? So if, if you guys don't remember in the 90s, there was this, there was Napster and then the government. So Napster was where you could download uh, songs for free. I remember showing this to my friends, and they're like, wow, you can download any song for free? I'm like, yep, right there. Check it out. And then it was shut down. Uh, and then there was Morpheus and LimeWire, and all these other services came after it, and those were all shut down too. And then somebody came along and made this thing called BitTorrent. And the governments were like, huh, there's no really way to shut this down. It's a peer-to-peer network. I would have to go down to every single person's house and shut them all off. Um, and, and BitTorrent opened the door to a system that could never be turned off. Uh, and that that kind of goes into the decentralization of, of Bitcoin and why decentralization is so important and why, you know, a lot of Bitcoiners, well, actually, Bitcoiners are, are small blockers, right, versus the big block uh, Bitcoin cash people. Um, and the decentralization of the network is, the, is the paramount. It's the most important thing. If you do not have this decentralization, it will get shut down. We know because all of the other um, sovereign monies that were tried outside the government all got shut down from liberty dollar to you know real real meat space stuff to you know bcash and uh, um bit money bit gold uh, there's uh, uh, there was a number of digital currencies that were started and and eventually the government just shows up in each one knocks on the door and says yeah you guys gotta you gotta turn this stuff off the decentralization of bitcoin is is uh, you know plus solving the the double spend problem is what makes it resilient to this. It's anti-fragility. 
Um, and if you don't understand that concept, you'll never understand why Bitcoiners think that Bitcoin is better than all the other cryptocurrencies. Uh, yeah. And and while yeah. we're on distributed systems and open source software, you get into network architecture. Um, and there's you know the the network architecture of the internet is built with you know they say TCP/IP, but it's Internet Protocol first, then it's TCP, and then later we built all these other layers on top of that, HTTPS, um, and and those things don't change, right? So IP, TCP, we're not changing those protocols. Uh, another good example is 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 I heard this recently on on a podcast, I don't remember which one, is the email, the pro the protocol, you know, pop. Uh, Pop Pop and IMAP haven't changed in in 20 or 30 years. And, you know, there's no read receipts, there's no undo button, and there's there's a number of features that we could have added if we changed the protocols that are, you know, underlying these things. But they don't change. And there's a a reason they don't change. It's because these things are built in layers. And understanding why the Lightning Network developed the way it did is, is... you have to cru- you have to crucially understand these concepts first, right? So right. I, I think that's kind of mainly covering most of these giant things. Um, if you want, we can go into how some of these uh, overlap. But uh, we already kind of started that, on, or, or I don't know. What, what do you think, Colin? Am I, am yeah, I, am well, I ranting um, too much here. I'll, I'll touch <laughs> on some of the things that you just mentioned. Uh, you, you were talking about how a lot of people they they see the Bitcoiners ardently proclaiming that that Bitcoin is so objectively more secure uh, than any other project. And and the layman hears that and says, this guy, this guy is just trying to pump his bags. You know, he, he cares more about his, he's selfish. He wants Bitcoin to win and he wants everyone else to lose. Um, but the real objective truth is that we're talking orders of magnitude, the level of security that Bitcoin has relative to everything else. And I would even argue, first of all, I think proof of stake is stupid. Uh, but that's that's a rabbit hole we're not going to go down right now. <laughs> I would argue that minority proof-of-work chains, meaning any proof-of-work coin that isn't Bitcoin, is at a severe, severe, severe security disadvantage for the reason you know that Ben talked about earlier is that you can just take a small fraction of the hash power from the Bitcoin network. You can leave... You know, leaving Bitcoin security completely unchanged, and you can attack a minority chain with that, uh, and 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 you can affect a lot of people that are using that chain that way, and and the Bitcoin's main security isn't even touched in that uh, in that example. So when people say, you know, if you're on Twitter and you see people saying like, oh, Bitcoin is the only secure cryptocurrency, there's a reason that they're saying it. <laughs> you know, they're not they're not talking out of their butt. They're not trying to pump their bags. Again, it's using a, logical reasoning to, you know critical thinking to understand these concepts and what right. you know, a lot of us started with bitcoin and then went on to the, sh- the shitcoin uh path and, and you know i like i personally i bought a bunch and i uh, uh i actually still have a few but like i, I definitely want to sell them and uh we 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 got onto bitcoin and then we're like oh wait there's all these other things this one's more uh-huh. efficient and this one's faster and this one uh you know this one i don't know this one uh, is gonna is gonna be the Internet of Things money, and 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 this one's gonna be the world computer money, and it really understanding the economics piece is why you understand why you really only want one money, because the more different types of money, the the harder it is to trade, and and there's more barriers in there, right? Uh, Most definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I talked about this with uh, the episode I did with Michael Goldstein, where I, I sort of akinded to uh, gift cards. You know, there, there's <laughs> there's a great. market for there's a market for gift cards, but they're not liquid. Right. You, you if you're going to sell if like if you get a gift card for Christmas or as a birthday present and, and you want to try to sell it, you can. There is a market for that. But you're people are going to you're going to be selling it at a, at a, at a loss. Because it's not a liquid market, and it's going to be the same thing for a lot of these utility tokens, yeah. um, because they're not liquid. Like no, nobody's going to want to. Nobody wants target gift cards because they're not a fungible currency. They're not money any more than gift cards are money, right? I mean, gift right. cards you might think are money, sure, but they're they're a token that is only redeemable in one place. And uh, I think what we've, we've started to see is with what a lot of those those utility token projects were trying to do. Again, and you'll hear Bitcoiners say this a lot, we can all be done eventually using Bitcoin, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Smart contracts are already a part of Bitcoin, and, and a, a lot of the things that utility, you know, Brave Browser, Brave Browser, Browser, blah, Browser, um, what Brave Browser was trying to do, which is, you know, incentivize people with 
um, watching ads and getting part of that revenue, it could all be done with Bitcoin. You don't need a separate right. token for that. Yeah, and, and, and it's an open source project. And Gab, um, you know, you guys, some of my longtime viewers remember I had Andrew Torba on the show and he talked about Gab. Gab right now is working on forking Brave Browser, pulling out Bat and putting Bitcoin and Lightning in its place. And it's just a matter of time before that happens to pretty much any crypto project out there with any merit whatsoever. That's because... Crazy. It, you know, when I'm when I'm looking at these, like uh, people send me all kinds of stupid projects all the time. And they're like, well, what about this? What do you think about this? If you can take the token, completely get rid of it and replace it with Bitcoin, I think it's dumb. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, do you want to jump into how some of these things really like, you know, in this Venn diagram, some of these things overlap, but they all overlap in the center here. Uh, oh, yeah. Under blockchain. And I, I think once you really start to get this Austrian view of economics, you understand how distributed systems and, and open source software, you know, open source software is, is a meritocracy of ideas, not of people. So people are always talking about well, who controls Bitcoin. Well, good ideas control Bitcoin, not people, right? Yeah, there's, there's Blockstream and there's uh, Bitcoin Core and all these people, but if their ideas are bad, well, all the people that run nodes will just stop using their version. They'll start using an idea that's better, right? Right, that's, that's and that happened. <laughs> yes, uh, yes it did. Um, the the shelling point that we arrive at is is what Bitcoin really is, and and the it's it's very clear how much farther ahead Bitcoin is. It's it's much larger than all of the other cryptocurrencies put together. Um, I I wanted to talk about like legal tender laws and and intercentral bank cooperation. Um, essentially, you know, we're talking about the government's stealing money from people by printing it. Uh, it turns out that you know all the all the in in the Bretton Woods agreement essentially in in 1944 all the all the central banks of the different countries got together and agreed to inflate their currencies at the same rate um it was the closest thing we had to a gold standard in the last century uh but they were all still robbing from all their uh all of their citizens right and this is and the nobody nobody would ever adhere 100% to that rate that they agreed on. There'd always be somebody that would cheat just a little bit. Yeah, and it, it was this competition of who could keep the most gold in their in their reserves. Um, before that, uh, in, in 1933, I think, uh, the New Deal, um, the government confiscated gold from everybody. Uh, they literally said, no, you guys can't use that money. And the reason they did that is because there was a redeemability of, of gold in, in paper notes, right? So this is where the, the intersection between politics and economics, uh, politics and money, really, right? Money has become a, a political thing. Uh, but it didn't used to be. It didn't used to be. Um, and and there's, what's the quote that it's like, uh, m m many economists, uh, usually proponents of the free market, stop short at money. They insist that money should be regulated by the government and issued by right. the government. Right. Uh, but it didn't used to be. It used to be gold. And uh, we, we essentially, by confiscating gold and making it illegal to hold gold, we took uh, the free market out of money completely. Uh, and we, we've replaced it with these pieces of paper that now allow us to create, piece, create money with a keystroke uh, and powerfully and subtly acquire the, the stored uh, the stored time of people. You know, we talk. Monsieur Madmudov talks about money as a stored time, right? You store we, from your job. You you go work a bunch, and then later in life you redeem those tokens that you've received. But if those tokens can be diluted, they're diluting your time. I I had a friend who came to me and he said he was talking about um, if somebody wastes some of your time, uh, they're they're murdering part of your your life. They're actually taking part of your life away, right? So if you w watch an ad, for example, a uh, 30-second ad, and he started, did all the math, and he's like, the average lifespan is, you know, what, 80 years or something, and he said, uh, you know, uh, a minute of your time is, is, a, is a, a miller murder or something, or a micro murder, because he, he, he calculated how much time you have in your life, and if, if, you, if you waste one day of it, then it's, it's, you know, one millionth of that or something. And I turned to him and I said, well, yeah, but you store your time in money. So if the government is diluting the supply of money, that means they're murdering you at 3% per year. And he goes, oh, that's a really good point. <laughs> um, legal tender laws 
uh, are, are tied into this confiscation of gold thing, right? Where they essentially, they, the U.S. government suspended redeemability of gold a number of times until 1971 when Richard effing Nixon suspended the, the redeemability of gold forever. Uh, right. And I, I would add, you know, the reason that this happens is because of something called Gresham's Law, which is where uh, good money will be hoarded and bad money will be circulated, meaning that people like the free market knows what's good money and what's bad money. And that's why, you know, in these in these systems where we had gold notes and, and gold in the banks, you'd see people spending the bad money and hoarding, you know, anytime they could get a hold of gold or silver coins, they take it home and they put it in the in the dresser drawer or they store it in a bank deposit box because they know even if they don't like consciously realize it they know that that holds its value and then the paper gets diluted over time and then it loses its value and that's what that's where these legal tender laws come from is the government has to force people to use the paper that their brains tell them no that's not as good as the gold you know because it's not as hard of a value um the legal tender laws force you, you know, you have to pay your taxes. You have to accept this if you own a store. Um, you have to use this if somebody wants to buy your house. Uh, you're not allowed to just say, no, you have to pay me in gold bars because legal tender laws force you to circumvent free market demand. Yeah, said in other words, without the legal monopoly on money, we wouldn't use paper money. We would use gold, right? And then you understand, like, again, you have to understand why we use paper money in the first place. We started to use paper certificates of gold, right? They were stand-ins where the gold was kept in vaults. And you get to the centralization of gold in vaults problem. The person that holds all the gold, really, is the person that holds all the money, not the people that hold the paper. Because you have to actually get the gold. Uh, if if the gov if the if if the paper is inflated too much, well then you're going to want the gold back. And but it's it's all held in banks, and the government's confiscated it all. Um, and you talked about Gresham's law, but I don't. I never talk about Gresham's law without talking about Thiers law, which is like the reciprocal of it. So you talk about uh, bad money drives out good money, meaning that people hoard the good money and they spend mm -hmm. the bad money. So all the bad money is being spent in the economy. But Thiers law is when good money drives out bad money. Meaning mm. that once uh, the purchasing power of the bad money gets so bad, people no longer want it at all. Um, and right. that's when good money wins, right? Um, Which you see it happen in places like Venezuela, you know, yes. Weimar, Germany. Exactly. Zimbabwe. People, right? people carry around uh, wheelbarrows full of cash, you know, for a loaf of bread because they don't want the cash and they can't even burn it to stay warm. You know, they, they would rather have anything else. Yeah. And, and what I have come to the conclusion is that Bitcoin obviates almost every issue that is an issue with paper money um, and gold, right? Uh, Absolutely. It, it has verifiable purity, right? So this goes back to the verifiability of um, cryptography and math. Uh, you can actually, so w when you tested gold, right, to make sure that it was good gold, you, you had to like melt it down or weigh it. You had to do all this stuff. Uh, in order to c make sure it's the right density and that the you know that it, it is actually gold. Well, Bitcoin is not only trivially to is it's not only trivial trivial to verify like how much gold somebody just gave you or digital gold they just gave you. You can actually melt down the entire supply of Bitcoin every ten minutes using your phone node. So you can right. trivially verify all of the Bitcoin. You can melt down the entire supply. Uh, all at once. Um, it also yeah. cannot be inflated, and the reason it cannot be inflated is because of the immutability of this very large decentralized network that uh, is based on mathematical uh, security that there will never be more than 21 created. Um, the Bitcoin cannot be suppressed because of the BitTorrent thing, right? You know, they made Napster and then LimeWire and Morpheus, but they couldn't shut down BitTorrent, and they still haven't, uh, just much just much to their dismay, uh, Bitcoin cannot be turned off. Um, and it can't really even be suppressed. You know, in, in, in Venezuela, they're trying to suppress Bitcoin. Um, they're, they're knocking on miners' doors and, and confiscating mining equipment in Venezuela. But you, you, can't, you can send a packet anywhere in the world uh, very mm -hmm. easily by connecting to any network, you know. And in, in the future, mesh networking will become even even more prolific and, and yep. there's really no way to shut this technology off. You know, as Andreas yeah. says, when you turn money into a content type that can be sent over a radio, uh, a satellite network. Now we have Blockstream. This it cannot be stopped. 
Um, there, there was the story about the guys in Venezuela that were using their car battery to power um, some sort of transmitter to send a Bitcoin transaction through the Blockstream satellite. That's amazing. Yeah. An incredible. People find a way. People will always find a way. Completely cut off from the grid, you can still send Bitcoin transactions now. That's 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 amazing. Yeah. And yeah. And oh, sorry. Uh, but just to talk about something you 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 passed there real quick was uh, you were talking about the auditable, verifiable supply. You know, someone challenged me not that long ago. They said, "Well, yeah, everyone says that Bitcoin that there will only be 21 million Bitcoins, but nobody can actually prove it." And I pushed back, man. I, I this was over on the Bitcoin.pub. It's a forum that I spend a lot of time on, and I was like, "No, I I could prove it to you right now. I could show you how you can prove it. I can show you." The, the blocks, I can show you where the Coinbase is, I can show you the reward, I can show you exactly how much the reward paid out, and I can show you where each output went after it got spent. I can, it, it, is vero, it is provable, and it's not that difficult. You don't even have to know that much about computers to be able to go into um, you know, the, the blockchain data and, and prove without a shadow of a doubt that how, exactly how many Bitcoin there are. Well, yeah, but unless you understand math and cryptography, there is still doubt, right? So right, yeah, it kind of means nothing to you. But the fact that people make that argument, you know, but you you either have to you either have to take our word for it, or you have to figure these things out for yourself. <laughs> right. So so we encourage you not to take our word for it and to go down this rabbit. And this is the rabbit hole that Marty Bent talks about, and, and a lot of us talk about is that this is the rabbit hole, guys. Try to yeah. understand all of these different things. And it, it it is no easy task. And, no, and Colin and I don't claim to understand it all, but we're no. we're trying, right? It's, it's a monumental undertaking to look at this spectrum and to pick out each individual thing and try to understand how each of them fit into this picture and where they overlap and, and the subtleties and the nuances of all of these different things on top of a nascent technology that in and of itself is kind of difficult and complicated to understand. Yeah, and, and this takes me back to the history of money, right? Understanding that we started off not having money and just bartering, and then eventually people realized that everybody likes like wheat, for example, and they used wheat as money because it was it was like widely used. And then, you know, they they went on and they used shells and glass beads and 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 stones and all of these things got inflated, right? So inflation was uh, was really the problem with most monies. Um, some of them were durable. Uh, durability was a problem, uh, and eventually, gold took over all money because it was the best money, not because a government enforced gold it means that individually separately you know just like us bitcoiners individually coming to the same conclusions the markets across the world individually separate from each other zeroed in on gold and the reason they zeroed in on gold was mostly because it was very difficult to inflate it grew this very large stock pile and the the flow of of new gold coming in was so insignificant that you weren't diluting the supply of your stored time energy in gold um, but gold had a really big issue with it. It wasn't portable, and it wasn't divisible um, to the needs of the modern world. You know, if I want to transact with somebody uh, in, in in Sweden or in, in Japan, well, I have to mail them a whole bunch of gold, and that's why they started using money certificates, right? Uh, that were stand-ins for the gold that could be easily moved around, and they made it divisible and all this stuff. Uh, but it led to the centralization of gold in vaults, and it, it gave governments all this undue power to to manipulate the supply of money because we eventually got off of certificates and we got onto pure fiat money and all these other problems. But Bitcoin is a 10x improvement on gold because A, it solves the portability issue. Uh, obviously, it's digital information. It's a content type. We can move it around uh, in, in ways that we can't even imagine yet. You know, the Lightning Network is talking about streaming streaming money you know that's this these concepts that are are still so foreign to us uh it's censorship resistant meaning nobody can stop you from using it uh the innovation on bitcoin you don't need to go to a central bank and get permission from them uh you don't need to go to the government to get permission from them you don't need to go to uh paypal and get permission to innovate and create new tools like streaming money or whatever uh Access to it is access to anybody that has access to the internet. A $20 cell phone, as Andreas says, in Sudan, using a, uh, a solar charger, uh, can, can access this stuff. Uh, the unforgeable costliness that goes back to the, the blockchain security uh, and how much computing energy has gone into creating this blockchain that, that is, is now immutable because there's tens of thousands of nodes around the world. I think it's close to 100,000 nodes now. Uh, the verifiability, etc. Uh, all of this stuff is the improvement that Bitcoin is on gold and why 
we think that Bitcoin will, will just get, it, it's just going to start seeping into any place where it is better money than these other things. And, and I think the biggest challenge to Bitcoin right now is its biggest boom, which is the volatility, right? If you talk to anybody intelligent about this who isn't into Bitcoin, they'll say, well, yeah, but if I put my money in Bitcoin, it can go up and down. Something so volatile can never become money. Yes. Uh, but understanding why something is volatile is crucial, right? And this goes back to right. understanding that the reason it's 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 volatile is because, well, its inflation rate is, is, is higher than all the other monies, but that's changing with the halving schedule. So you have to understand the halving schedule. Uh, and then you have to understand liquidity, right? Which is like already this very like strange uh, anomalous concept of liquidity uh, right. which but essentially means like how 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 tradable how saleable over time this thing is um and and how much is is, is stored in it right we talk about the market cap of the stock market and the, um how right. much you know u.s dollars there's, there's tr trillions of u.s dollars right and we use dollars as the unit of account um the liquidity of the Bitcoin network is well, it's like six, it's it's like ninety billion dollars now um, today, and and that that in relation to all these other gigantic currencies, you know, in the hundreds of trillions each, uh, it's just a drop in the bucket, and it can it can it can get swayed around. But right. But understanding why the price keeps rising really is tied into this having schedule, um, people adopting it and it in it in acquiring monetary premium. Um, you know, you know, a monetary premium, Colin. Explain it. Uh, like gold has use in 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 electronics, like industrial and stuff. usage, right? Yeah, and it has a value from that, but it it has a value from people holding it, right? Right. Holding money is a use case for money. It is not hoarding, right? The, right. The just holding that and using it as money gives it a premium above its 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 utility value but right. Bitcoin, the vast majority of market cap in gold comes from store value it, it's not from industrial use case but what is, is what you're saying bitcoin if bitcoin has no inherent utility it is not a commodity it has no right. inherent value it only has money value because we have given it value people are willing to spend money on it to buy it right and because of its properties you know that we just spent the last hour talking about <laughs> so yeah. Uh, ben, we're we're coming up on the end of uh, our time here, but I I kind of had one last like big finale question for you here. So at the bottom of this chart, we have game theory, right? And you see a lot of people, uh, particularly the people that are newer to crypto or that are that have just really got Bitcoin and, and they want to get more people into it, and they ask the question, "What's a good, simple five minute explanation that I can use to make somebody understand Bitcoin and blockchain completely?" And I think that we've kind of demonstrated here, you know, by going through the spectrum that there really isn't an answer um, to that question. People say, well, you know, you're never going to be able to get my grandma to understand this thing. Ben, can you, in your own words, explain to us in regards to the game theory why it doesn't matter whether or not everybody's going to understand this thing one day in regards to it becoming money? Yeah, game theory is the study of rational actors uh in, in, a, in a given situation and how they will act, right? And essentially, it's it's funny because, you know, I spend so much time trying to tell people about Bitcoin, and, and some of them listen, and some of them don't, and some of them even have acquired some. But I think that everybody in the world is incentivized. Their, their game theoretically incentivized to acquire some of this eventually. Uh, and they're going to buy some for the same reason I did. You know, I told you the story of I, I knew about this a long time ago, um, but I only bought some when the price went up a lot, right? Right. Uh, and I think the price is going to continue to go up. Um, and, and understanding that is understanding all the other stuff that I just talked about. But when the price goes up at something, well, people get interested in it, and they might get a little bit. Uh, and then when people get some, this, 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 the hype surrounds it, well, the price goes up more. Um, and people start to learn more about it, uh, which is what happened to me. You know, I bought some, and then I started to learn a lot more about it. And th that's really the answer is that I I think that this is a better money. I think it's going to lead to prosperity for the people and, and not socialism for the rich. It's going gonna, it's gonna to lift everybody up, even 
even the politicians, they're going to be incentivized to buy some. Even rich people, they're going to be incentivized to buy some. Maybe even central banks. That's an interesting one. I'm not sure about that one. Um, but I think we're all incentivized to want to hold the best money and use the best money. And that will help civilization scale in ways that we can't even imagine. Well, this conversation was awesome, and I think that we could have spent probably hours um, on each individual pillar of of this spectrum, you know, that we just kind of quickly touched on each piece uh, just in the last hour, but I really enjoyed this, and I, I hope that the listeners really enjoyed this conversation. Yeah, this was a blast, man. I, I, I get so excited about this stuff because I'm so passionate about wanting to help the world so uh, if i uh jumped around a little bit i apologize yeah yeah we, we were we ben and i were talking the other day and we were just kind of going back and forth on how awesome it is you know to be in this community surrounded by people that are so passionate about this topic and it's so rare to find anybody that's passionate about anything these days um <laughs> bitcoin is like the exception to the rule you know everybody that you come across that understands this is just they, they can't stop talking about it. They annoy all their friends. They drive their spouses crazy. Like, it, it, it's, it's nuts. <laughs> and so, you know, we, we, we are grateful to be able to get together with, with those types of people and, and share ideas and, and talk through. So, Ben, uh, where can my listeners find you if they want to find more about, like, what you're working on and, and keep up with you? Yeah, I mean, I have a blog um, that a lot of it was written before I really got deep into this stuff. So, uh, uh, I, I'm not even really feeling that. If you want to follow me on Twitter, um, I'm always trying to understand these things better and, and trying to, you know, condense them down into a tweet, which is near impossible. So, uh, you can follow me on Twitter if you want. It's, um, Mr. Cool BP. Uh, so at M R C O O L B P. And, uh, Mr. Cool BP. All right. <laughs> any, any upcoming projects you're working on or anything like that? Or uh, just yeah. keep us posted. I'm working on a history of money infographic right now that I should be posting soon. Um, and uh, more to come for sure. Very cool, man. All right. Thanks so much for coming on the show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Colin. All right, guys. Hope you enjoyed my conversation with Ben. Don't forget that if you want to take a look at the infographic that we were talking about and, and referencing throughout this discussion, I'm going to have a link to that posted down in the description below. And that was actually created by Unchained Capital. Thank you guys so much for listening to the show. Thank you for all the subscribes, all the reviews all the, the stars and thumbs up or whatever on, on all the different podcasting platforms. That really means so much to me, and it really helps the show out a lot, helps me gain exposure, helps me grow the audience, which helps me educate more people on Bitcoin, and that's the real reason that I'm doing this, to, to spread the good word about uh, Bitcoin and, and what it's going to do for the world. So thank you guys so much for being a part of helping share that message um, just by listening to the show. That's about all I got for this one, guys. Don't forget, if you got any questions, you can reach out to me at bitcoinechochamber at gmail.com, or you can hit me up on Twitter at heavilyarmedc, the letter C. My inbox is always open. Don't be shy. All right, guys. See you next time.